0: on the punch out today we normally bring you three stories but today we're bringing you just one but i promise it's a very good one we're taking a bit of a deep dive into some of the information we have already voter data who voted why where and what that really means in terms of not only where the country is now but where it could be going depending on what individuals and organizations decide to do so one story clearly important issue here we go Listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And today is Monday, November 9th. We are back here with our daily, well, Monday through Friday. We're not here Saturday or Sunday daily. Edition of the Punch Out podcast here on Breakthrough News. Shout out to everyone as we start out our week. Hopefully it's going well for you, and perhaps if not, we can turn it around for you a little bit here with some of what we're talking about on the Punch Out, all of which today, we're doing it a little bit different, is related to at least one question coming out of the elections. Now, of course, for those who somehow, some way missed this over the weekend on Saturday, the various news media entities here, here in the U.S. decided to call the election for former vice president, who now seems to be president-elect Joe Biden and, of course, his running mate, Kamala Harris. Now, the president, the current president, Donald Trump, is still disputing whether or not this is the outcome, but I think we can start to move beyond that to some degree. I mean, there's a lot to be said about it, but there seems to be very little to zero evidence unsurprisingly of voter fraud, and thus not much of a chance for President Trump to dispute this election. So now that the election seems to basically be over with that caveat— There is a lot of what's going on here, a lot of questions out there about who to praise and who to blame in the context of what actually took place, who won, who lost, by how much and where. Many are blaming the white working class. Some are blaming white people writ large for being the reason why Trump succeeded. On the reverse side, many people are praising people of color writ large and black women in particularly saying this is the reason why Trump lost. And of course, these narratives have pretty much already taken hold in the media and on social media. Part of that is because they were sort of pre-baked into the coverage of the election for the whole year leading up to them. But many of these sort of conventional wisdom, agreed-upon takes, or whatever it may be, on all sides of this, I have to say, seem to be more about point scoring than any real analysis about what actually happened so that movements that are looking for transformative change, which certainly neither of the two political candidates offered here, can actually go forward. So here's the thing before I get into some of this, before, you know, I'm not some crystal ball prognosticator. There is a lot we don't know, as we always don't know a lot at this time of the elections. We don't have the voter file results to give you a more direct sense of who voted and who didn't. The exit polls are interesting this year, but a little bit tricky because so many people voted by mail. So... There are a lot of interesting issues to, to raise and to discuss here, but it is preliminary data, so I'll just lay that out here. But first and foremost, let's address this issue of the so-called white working class, as it were, the allegedly Trump's base, which I think even in 2016 was certainly misconstrued. But nevertheless, I have to say this is one of the most misunderstood issues out there, starting with, by the way, the fact that class is not about what they say it's about in the U.S. discourse. It's certainly not about income. It's about relationship to the means of production to make it orthodox here for you. But at the end of the day, it more or less breaks down to this. Do you work for a living or do you make other people work for you to make your living? That's the basic divide in capitalism, the basic class divide. So a lot of people who vote for both parties, you know, maybe even a a simple or, or more than a simple majority are quote unquote workers, but they represent various strata of the working class. And there can be some overlap between say higher paid workers based on income and small business owners or something like that. So you can see there's a little bit of a of a je ne sais quoi here in how we determine these things as the, the statistics are given to us in the U.S., which is mainly based off income or whether or not you went to college, and that could be deeply misleading. And how misleading? Well, you, let's get into it here. Let's just take Georgia, for instance. Now, Democrats won the majority of votes of people making less than $50,000 a year. That seemed actually pretty much consistent across most of the states I looked at. Now, of that grouping of people... Biden won 56% on election day, of course. These are exit polls this is coming from, while Trump won 41%. And people making less than $50,000 were 34% of the electorate. So less than $50,000 in Georgia, 56% went to Biden. 36% of the electorate on election day made between $50,000 and $100,000. Trump won 53% of that subset of the electorate to Biden's 45%. Uh, and again, this is the people who voted on election day. So just taking one step back from that. Is Trump's base, which in Georgia was overwhelmingly white, the quote unquote white working class? What about white workers making less than $50,000 who voted for Biden? Do they not count? How do you even parse that? And even if you say, well, most of those who are below 50,000 had to be black people. They're more likely to be on the lower end of the income scale. We are talking about the deep South here. What about the 45% of people making 50 to 100,000 that voted for Biden? Some of them have to be white. Some of them have to be workers. So again, How do you parse it? And it honestly speaks to a deeper question here. In the United States, political coalitions are not class-based. In fact, both parties more or less fight their elections on the idea that America has no rigid class divisions worth even discussing. How we're all in this together as Americans. How it's all about the middle class. That's all they really talk about. How everyone should be in the middle class, a middle class standard of living, and so on and so forth. So to be saying the working class of any type is really doing anything writ large is at best a strong oversimplification. But let's look at this. Another way, in terms of how many people voted in a few different areas. Let's start with the state of Michigan. The state infamously went for Trump in 2016, but ended up fairly solidly in the Democratic camp this time around. Now, conventional wisdom would make you think: well, it had to be a huge uh, roll of a huge rush of voters in Detroit, right? Well, you'd be wrong if that's what you thought. In fact, get ready for this. Fewer people voted for Biden in the city of Detroit than Hillary Clinton. Yes, you heard me correctly. Biden got fewer votes in Detroit City than Hillary Clinton in 2016. Wayne County, where Detroit is located, however, saw a big increase in Democratic votes. Actually, less turnout, by the way, than the statewide average. But nevertheless, a big increase over 2016. Much larger number of raw votes and certainly a higher percentage. And does that mean that the so-called suburban effect of middle-class white suburban voters was the issue there? Well, not exactly, because Wayne County is a very diverse and very working-class area, including a large number of Arab-American folks of all types, including workers, and of course, black workers themselves. Let's take this a bit further. Oakland County, so a wealthy county in the Detroit suburbs, had a huge surge for Biden, 90,000 more votes in terms of raw votes, so seemingly there, a big indication of exactly this suburban surge of white quote-unquote middle middle-class people that's been important for Democrats since 2018. Let's add one more wrinkle, though. Saginaw County, Michigan, shout out to Saginaw, a very working class area with a rate of poverty that's about 15%, which is higher than the state average. It's about 70-30 black-white. The county went to Trump in 2016, but it went to Obama in 2008 and 2012. This year, 2020, it flipped back to Biden with increased vote totals in Saginaw City, which is mainly black, but also white working class areas of the county. So clearly a subset of white workers voting for Biden made a difference there. What a complicated picture, right? What can you really say? And we don't have an information to parse at all, but it seems like two things really stand out. One, that white workers played a role, as did white suburban voters and a very very diverse subset of working class voters, including black people. The second thing is, it showed that in Detroit City, clearly the level of alienation among the majority of black people who are working class there and the Democratic Party establishment in the city has only, and the country writ large, has only deepened since 2016. Overall votes, though, in Detroit went up. So it tells you something that Trump and third parties seem to have driven this relatively small increase in overall voters while the Democrats lost ground. And it wasn't just Detroit either. That effect took place in Philadelphia. Yep. In Philadelphia, it also appears Biden received fewer votes than Clinton, at least as it stands right now. In Milwaukee, this actually was a bit of a controversy over the weekend out there, some articles in the local news about how not that many people voted, I took a look at polling places in the 53206 zip code. That's an infamous zip code because it's the zip code with the most people incarcerated per capita in the country. All five precincts in that zip code had fewer votes. Now, I will note here, parenthetically, there were a lot of people in that area who were on the Wisconsin voter purge list. I also looked at Englewood in Chicago. In particular, the precinct within Englewood, where earlier this year, a police murder took place that led to big protests downtown, which included some liberating of goods and breaking of windows in the ultra-rich Magnificent Mile. There, too, lower turnout than 2016. The overall ward, which fits more or less into the neighborhood of Englewood proper, also lower vote than 2016. What's all this about? Well, I I got a hunch. It's a hunch. I'll say it it like that. I took a look at Norfolk, Newport News, and Petersburg, Virginia. All heavily black areas uh, of the state. Biden won the state of Virginia. And all three, the votes went up. So... You can look at uh, Georgia as well, by the way. It seems like there wasn't a similar Atlanta, Fulton County, Detroit, Wayne County effect, although I'm still looking into that. But what I'm basically saying here is my hunch is that in areas where Democrats are in power, the contradictions are coming home to roost. For instance, you consider Englewood in Chicago, who were Biden's surrogates, literally the people who support killer cops and are trying to destroy those neighborhoods through gentrification. Or you look at those neighborhoods in Milwaukee I mentioned, kind of makes sense in the highest zip code for incarceration there may be some serious reservations about showing up for the architect of mass incarceration. So in places where the Democrats have a long history of promoting neoliberal destruction of black working class communities, they, the Democrats, are struggling to motivate people. Another data point that speaks to that is Cory Bush unseating a political dynasty in St. Louis. Clear sign of dissatisfaction with the black Democratic elite status quo. And the reverse is also true. In states where Republicans were the primary vector of many of the worst policies, the Democrats can not only seem a little bit better but seem like more of a vehicle for actual change and perhaps in some ways have been so. Now there's another issue here which I can really only touch on because we've been talking for a little bit but that's regarding Latino voters. Obviously seeing Trump come much closer to winning in a range of heavily Latino counties in Texas made a big impact. Uh, Obviously Florida. The fact that and this has been talked about a lot less in some of the most oppressed working class heavily Puerto Rican communities in Philadelphia Trump was getting like 20% of the vote which is certainly not only more than you expect, but more than even some of the surrounding neighborhoods there. So again, difficult to parse in different ways, uh, but obviously an interesting factor. And obviously the increased vote for Donald Trump was not simply just more white races coming to the polls. So To summarize all of this, I think a few things are clear. You know, one is that there's a warring set of narratives that really only tell a part of the story and sometimes in a manipulative way. And we should think about that when we think about all these narratives in the mainstream media about who won, who lost, why, who we should care about, who we should throw away. But when you take the points I just listed, and of course, a few other ones, like for instance, the majority of Georgia voters supporting the right to abortion, or Florida voters supporting by over 60%, a $15 an hour minimum wage, we can see that. You know, first, no one is realistically going to become a leading force in the United States society that can actually transform uh, what's going on—the terrible uh, fallout from capitalist exploitation. No one can do that without uniting all types of people. Secondly, that the way various poli- populations—I should say—various class strata, various communities are reacting, not just to the Democrats and the Republicans, but to politics in general and to individual policies—is obviously complicated and not formulaic. So if we're committed to building a working-class politics that can really win, to just say, don't bother organizing, say, white workers, or to say, well, we have to ignore the clear issues and divides around issues like policing that's leading many black workers to not vote at all, certainly not for Joe Biden, means that ultimately we're going nowhere. We're dealing in platitudes, not in plans. The real task seems to be, how do we parse these complicated results brought together by two capitalist coalitions that hate working class people and want to marginalize the working class and the oppressed in this country? What can we take from the results, the aftermath, if you prefer, of this election to start to think about how we can put together a real coalition of people who are really exploited and really oppressed and take on those who are doing the exploitation and doing the oppression? That's the real goal of post-election analysis in my view. So having said all that, Thank you again for joining us here on The Punch-Out Daily, Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's going to do it for us here today on Monday, November 9th. That's The Punch-Out for today.